is it possible that messaging just isn't festive enough? Well, this week on Download This Show, the group video app House Party. And how does it compare to the plethora of other apps out there like WhatsApp, WeChat, Wicker, Line, you name it. Plus, Facebook may or may not be listening to your texts, but podcast producers really do want to hear from you. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show, and I would like to welcome back audio producer, journalist, woman with leavened hair, which is only a thing that you can see on the YouTube channel, Olivia Roseman. Welcome back. <laughs> leavened hair. That's uh, fantastic. That? Yes. What a perfect descriptor. Hello. It's nice to be here, Mark. Uh, leavened is the only word you use when, like, is yeast present in your hair? <laughs> oh, now that sounds bad. My neighbour um, told me the other day I looked like a manga character, which I think is, is good. Oh, yeah, no, I see that. Yeah. Um, alongside Olivia Roseman, we have from the technology website CNET, Daniel Van Boom. Hello. Um, I got a haircut two days ago, and I'm pretty salty that I have, like, the worst hair in the room right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, my hair's got a metric ton of product holding it in place right now. Um, <laughs> all right, lots of unusual things to get through, but uh, I'd like to understand what PodPass is. So one of the biggest problems facing podcasting at the moment is that the analytics side of it is pretty underdeveloped. You put up an MP3 out in the world and most podcast producers don't know anything about who listens, how long they listen. You just got to download or not a download. But there are an array of services now that are trying to give podcast producers and big corporations that fund podcast producers more data around who listens, what do they listen to, and hopefully that's the sort of thing that you can funnel off to an advertiser who's like, yeah, I love 18 to 35-year-old young people. No, you're, you're totally right, Mark. The, the lack of analytics um, is a big problem for podcasters. But what PodPass is, is actually looking at helping podcasters foster better direct relationships with their listeners or subscribers rather than know more about them so that they can sell information to advertisers. So let's say you are a dedicated follower of Download This Show. I am. You just Huge love fan. it. You love it. You love Mark Fennell. You love his guests. So you want to actually um, flick Mark Fennell and Download This Show a bit of extra cash. Obviously, it being the ABC, that's not... I'm not above know. taking care. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but many independent shows out there, they ask listeners to support the show through regular monthly yeah. or one-off donations. And in exchange for doing that, they might provide you with a feed of some extra content, maybe an ad-free version of the show or maybe some bonus outtakes or a extended interview. Now, currently to do that, there's a bunch of different services that um, do that. And it's a very, uh, it's it's a um, clunky process that often involves giving these supporters an RSS feed, a different one that they have to copy and paste into a podcasting app. And we all know RSS feeds look really ugly and most people see them, think they're a URL, put them into a browser and then freak out when they get a whole big, you know, page mm. of code. So it's basically about facilitating that, about facilitating a direct... Um, relationship where um, you can you can give something to the podcaster, um, mm -hmm. the producer, and they can give something back to you in a seamless way across all podcasting apps. So would we be talking about a, a separate app or are we talking just about a piece of code 
that is attached to the podcast feed. Well, that's the beauty of this. It's a piece of code that's attached to the feed that will work in, in theory, any podcast app. And what I really like about this is that, you know, we're currently at a really interesting time for podcasting. I feel like I've been saying that for the past five years, Mm. but especially now we're sort of starting to find, especially with the entrance of Spotify into the podcasting business, which they've done in a very big way this year. Um, We've seen the rise of this app Luminary, which is a paid monthly podcast uh, app, something like Netflix. Yeah, I've subscribed. You have? Yeah, I think I'm the only person that subscribed. Yeah, well, they they made a bit of a faux pas in their launch. And so I think a lot of people, independent producers are kind of quite angry at them. I don't know what I think about it, but I just feel like I already have enough content. Um, there's too much content. I will say that there, if you're a fan of musicals, uh, John Cameron Mitchell, who did the punk musical Hedwig and the Angry Inch, has an amazing podcast on Luminary called um, Anthem Homunculus. It's about a guy who's got a brain tumour mm. and he's raising money to get surgery, but it's all done through song. It's among the most incredible audio I've ever heard, and I swear it's not cheap. So yeah. I was like, I'm very happy to pay money for this. No, it's and a couple of big popular podcasts went over to Luminary. So those podcasts are now behind a paywall. You have to pay Luminary to uh, to get them. You have to pay for monthly subscription. So there's sort of this kind of fragmenting happening, whereas podcasting was much celebrated for being this open um, ecosystem where anyone yeah. could publish and anyone could download. We're now starting to see the professionalization of the industry, which is great. But then people trying to work out how to make money off it and that's where things are starting to fragment and it's getting confusing. Yeah, so we've got this situation where podcasts, they're, they're sort of splitting into different camps. So you've obviously got your, your, your radio-based ones, usually public radio-based ones, a la Hello Us, advertising-supported ones. And now we've also got this new tier of things that are behind a subscription wall. Do you think podcasts behind a subscription wall as a pathway to sort of getting paid is a viable future? Do you think people are going to sign up for it? Because we've already got Netflix subscriptions and Amazon subscriptions. There's a lot of subscriptions going around. I think it definitely depends on the podcast. So, for instance, I essentially pay like $10 a month for one podcasting service. It's not even a podcast. It's it's a wrestling podcast, right? Yeah. And so, like, that's, like, super niche, right? So if you're a niche podcaster, you can get away with, say, you know, being behind a paywall. But I certainly think that for the average person who just is looking for something to listen to on the commute to work and back, like what you were saying before in terms of, like, when when people offer those incentives that you then have to, like usually Patreon is a big one, like you pay them through Patreon and then you have to go to Patreon to download the extra thing. Eh, People are just going to not bother with that. Too much effort. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I was under the impression that advertising in podcasts was particularly lucrative because people actually listen to them. I think a lot of podcasters are asking themselves, do they want this? Do they want to be supported by advertising? Obviously, that comes with um, a lot of compromises. Uh, You know, at the extreme end, you end up having to structure your show around the best ad slots. So I don't know. I I generally think philosophically, I do agree with the paywall because making high quality podcast audio content costs money and we Mm -hmm. should be willing to pay for that. However, this kind of windowing off or siloing off into different apps um, is unfortunate, I think. I think a lot of people who do, I mean, let me ask you, Daniel, you paid $10 a month for the wrestling app. Is that because you have to or because you want to support the show? Uh, it's because I have to. Oh, so you can't access it without it? Yeah, no, no. Because oh. you have to log into, like, it's. I feel like I'm a caveman. Like, I log into their website and download the MP3 file onto my phone. Oh, well, that yeah. is commitment. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's the same level of commitment that involved torrenting less than a few years ago. So yeah. I guess maybe it's not that much commitment, but you know. Something. Yeah. The interesting thing though, like Luminary was seven ninety nine in America. Like I think smartphones have certainly disrupted the idea of 
what we think we should pay for digital content. Yeah. $7.99 for me seems really reasonable because I listen to podcasts every day. Certainly they would be worth that for what they've like added to my life. But also then when you can compare $7.99 for a podcast to $9.99 for Netflix, there's a weird curve that goes on here. I mean, I will say, I, I, I think for a long time we made paying for things on the internet, particularly subscriptions, kind of a bit of a hassle with smartphones that like know your credit card details and you just do the tap and suddenly it's paid and like that. It's They've removed so much friction from it that I'm actually quite happy to, maybe too happy to, uh, pay for things that, you know, I probably before would have gone, oh, I'll go and pull out my credit card and what is my CVV and what even is the CVV? <laughs> Just coming back to the, the issue of like identity and, and how podcast producers can have a clear sense of your identity and maybe monetize that. Spotify, uh, as you mentioned, they've invested heavily in, in podcasts and even bought a gigantic podca- podcast studio in the US called Gimlet. Um, they've actually started uh, rolling out of being able to give data to podcast producers. Do we get a sense of exactly what sort of data they're going to be giving podcast producers? Well, I um, put one of my podcasts into the Spotify dashboard this morning to have a have a look around. So you can go, if you have a podcast, go and check it out. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a lot more than you get from your normal podcasting, Apple facilitated podcasting, RSS feed. It had sex uh, data, gender data, um, age data. It told me what music my listeners listen to. Really? What music do your listeners listen to? <laughs> Um, there was a bunch of stuff that I didn't didn't know what it was. Um, there was a musical, like I just uh, it, uh, yeah. It, uh, look, I actually I can't. I didn't commit anything to memory because it seemed so irrelevant to me. I'm my so desperate to know what people that listen to this show listen to. Unfortunately, you can't get download this show on Spotify because the it. ABC have. I, I assume it's an ABC problem. I have no idea. That's, anyway, okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah. No, no, so it's, uh, I mean, I find the music thing interesting for my show, which is about language. It seems kind of irrelevant. I'm not sure. But I don't know. I guess more information is good. Well, that's what we're taught to believe in this era. But um, <coughs> it seems it seems great. The only problem, I think, uh, for, for producers, which once again probably isn't everyone's problem, but like we're now um, sort of splitting up the analytics. So you've got to go and check your RSS feed download analytics and your Spotify analytics and it's kind of just more to keep track of. But it's great that they're um, going to do, they're going to do this. The other interesting thing about Spotify is that for bands, they make it possible to publicise tour dates, to sell merch through Spotify. Yeah. And the idea is that eventually these might be streams um, available to podcasters Yeah, we're, we're recording a live podcast at blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. Now, if only the national broadcaster was there. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And uh, is Facebook secretly listening to your conversations? That feels like... A topic that has popped up a few times. Turns out, to some limited extent, they have been, Daniel. Walk me through it. Yes. So, uh, in Facebook, there's a feature called voice to type where you use your voice to say things and then Facebook uh, types it out in message form. To improve that service, uh, Facebook has used contractors around the world to listen to a small percentage of those, transcribe the interviews, not the interviews, transcribe journalists, uh, (laughs) (laughs) transcribe the conversations and feed it back into the algorithm to essentially make the AI better. Uh, This follows, I mean, the thing with Facebook that everyone always says is, I was talking to my friend about X and then an ad for X popped up on my thing. What's the deal with that? Uh, so this is not really related to that, but it certainly does show that if Facebook really wanted to, they could do that. And it also follows basically the same thing happening to Alexa, Google Home and Siri all in the last few months, all found to be 
listening to you to improve respective services. Yeah, it doesn't instill great confidence, does it? And, you know, this phenomenon that you mentioned, Daniel, about, you know, the freaky appearance of ads that you've been talking about, uh, Mark Zuckerberg dismissed as a conspiracy that's been going around when he was hauled in front of the um, US Congress recently. But I think, you know, the emergence of this really makes you stop and wonder um, just just how uh, outrageous that idea really is. It's pretty... Um, I I use voice to type. No, I don't really use it in. I actually don't think I knew it was a feature in Messenger. I use it in. That was because that my, my biggest takeaway from this whole story is like, who uses voice oh, to type? I do all the time, all the time. Explain in, your text um, messages. No, I'm kidding. Your text <laughs> messages are totally fine. <laughs> no, when I'm texting on normal text message or, or WhatsApp, or even when I'm writing emails and I'm out on the go, it is so much more efficient to hit that little button. And I mean, it's it's quite good. The the accuracy is very good. It's heaps easier than sitting there with your fat thumbs. I have well, that accuracy ain't free, thumbs. apparently. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. So it's, this is this, like this fundamental dilemma that we have. All of these things make our lives more convenient. I mean, I have a Google Home and an Alexa. I'm just making sure all the big tech is listening to me. But, you know, it's voice, voice, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Activation. Activation. Activation or voice interfaces are super convenient. And with that goes a whole bunch of our privacy. And it's all about making a trade-off between yeah. privacy and convenience. I mean, part of me just wonders... How do you expect this technology to improve if it can't listen and learn? Like that, I, I completely understand and respect why you wouldn't want to use it at all. I, I get that. But if you are going to use it even a little bit, surely you want it to be the best possible version of itself. And that requires some degree of, of you learning. Know, like people make fun of these companies all the time. And I think part of that people making jokes about it is the acknowledgement that they are probably listening to us. Like, I feel like no one is really shocked about this. You know what I mean? Mm. But I also think it's a transparency thing. Uh, in Facebook's terms of services, it says something vague like, we may use your communications for quality improvement, whatever. I, I think it would help a lot if these companies actually told you ahead of time instead of having to find it out, you know, with whistleblowers and such. I also think that it depends. Uh, so Apple... I uh, had a similar problem about two weeks ago. A whistleblower for one of the transcription services told The Guardian um, that Apple does the same thing for Siri. So they listen to a few Siri uh, requests and then they analyze what how Siri acted and they they try to kind of improve the service to make sure Siri's actually doing what she's supposed to do, etc. But they found that Siri was activating like accidentally a lot. Like if you have an Apple Watch and you kind of lift your arm up and you say words after that, I see Mark nervously looking at his yeah, Apple Watch. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, actually, I actually wore the watch today for the first time in a million months. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes that just randomly activates Siri and the, tre the, the, the whistleblower was kind of telling the Guardian, like I've heard people in doctors, like having doctor's appointments, yeah. saying like hectic medical information. I've definitely heard drug deals, definitely heard people having sex, things like that. So I think like transparency is a big thing, but also... In the case, in a case like Facebook, you're you're actively participating in that, right? Whereas yeah. with the Siri thing, it's like Siri accidentally activated at the most inopportune times. I've heard the sound of a zipper has been, um, yeah, found yeah. to be activating Siri all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a key concern. I mean, as I said, I have these devices, and they they it it happens regularly that out of nowhere, I'm having a conversation with someone, and it's it it's heard it's wake word. So that's a huge problem. The other problem with it, I think, um, it was also last month that Google, uh, it was revealed Google was doing this and it was something like a thousand recordings were leaked by one of these workers to a Belgian broadcaster who was able to very easily identify mm. heaps of people.
people in these recordings. You think about the kind of things, you know, that you might be saying or saying around these things, addresses, names, um, you know, your local, your doctor, all these kind of things. And um, yeah, it's kind of terrifying. I don't, I don't know where the line is because as you said, Mark, I think you're right. How do we expect them to get better. Um, mm. But at the same time, we should be confident of our privacy. And when, who are these third party contractors? I mean, they're obviously, they're not comfortable. They're going to press. Like it's, they, this whole thing needs to be a little bit more carefully regulated, I think. But also if the more people know how it works, the more security pressure points you create. Like the, the I was talking to a, a security expert about something else a couple of weeks ago, and he made the observation, and it's fair, that the more publicised and transparent you are about the processes and, and the sheer number of contractors, you are literally advertising all of your weak points in your in your system for... Uh, red rag to a hacker is, is the returning <laughs> concept, right? And so there are risks associated with that level of transparency as well, and I don't actually know how one navigates that. Yeah, it's definitely... Not easy because obviously privacy is a recurring issue for all Silicon Valley companies, it seems like. And if it was an easy issue, it probably would have been fixed by now. The answer would be, you know, obviously a middle ground. Like you could, I think you could tell people that data is going to, you know, voice clips are going to be used for something more uh, clear than your communications may be used for quality assurance. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, a, there's a fine line in between those two things. Download this show is what you are listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And I just, I just want you guys to yell out, what, what are the different messaging apps that you find yourself using? I'll go first. I, I use a lot of WhatsApp and I use a lot of Slack. Facebook Messenger, unfortunately. You're the guy that uses Facebook Messenger? Yeah, not voice to message though. I have one friend that only ever talks to me on Gchat. How about you? Uh, I use, I mean, I'm big on WhatsApp. I make a lot of calls on FaceTime um, and then, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically it. Interesting that no one said SMS. Uh, it's pr- yeah, I hate SMSing. It's interesting, particularly in the US, I've noticed there's... Um, they they still charge quite a lot for SMSs, and mm. which is why uh, so many messaging apps have taken off. And so, what I wanted to do with the back end of this show is also talk about some of the other messaging apps that have popped up in the last uh, year or so that are maybe worth considering, maybe better. Uh, I've got things like Discord, Squad, uh, Telegram, Wicker as well. But the one that seems to be getting a lot of attention of late is something called House Party. Now, for somebody that is never, we're going to go through a few of them, but for somebody that has never seen House Party, just visually. Describe it for me. Uh, your phone or your laptop in front of you, you're holding it. The the selfie camera at your face, seven of your friends on the screen, oh, uh, up to seven of your friends on the screen. So the idea is, um, it's a house party. No, the, the, idea, <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea is uh, essentially like... Bandwidth orgy also? <laughs> <laughs> it's like essentially like a, a video group chat, right? Up to eight people. It's essentially like... There are rooms, it's like a chat room, I guess, like in the sense that like you just kind of, you see your friends, such and such is in a house party, and then you just join the chat and you'd say, what up? Um, It's mostly popular among young people, surprisingly. Yeah. I just got bought by Epic Games, who are the people behind uh, Fortnite, the big game as well. I mean, which maybe says something about its intended audience skewing younger, because I don't know about you guys, I can't think of anything worse than a group video chat with seven people in it. Like what it... Group chat is so annoying and people are talking over each other and inevitably someone has a bad connection so they're two seconds after everyone and someone's cutting in and out and it just sounds like a nightmare. Well, they, they haven't released uh, data for their users but uh, 
the the analyst estimates that there are about 40 million people who use it. So it's not huge, huge, huge. However, it is big enough to uh, have uh, landed on a few American daytime talk shows with the idea of like, is this the next thing to be worried about with your Should kids? Should you be worried about your children exactly. on house so party? Between that and Fortnite merging together. Mm. And because oh, yeah. there is horrifying. a feature where like you invite friends and your friends can invite friends. So it is sort of meant to kind of, you know, uh, replicate that random, I you know, think coming of the together same, people. Do you remember the scene in Mean Girls with the group chat where there's someone's <laughs> So sitting on silent, listening to the... That's what I imagine it is. But, yeah, I think there are a lot of concerns about um, the potential here for bullying um, and, uh, I don't know, it just seems like... I will say one thing in defence, though. Um, for what I understand, I think part of the reason why uh, psychologists and such say social media is bad for kids is because they if they communicate through text exclusively, they don't learn, like, empathy and things like that. You know, they say mean things. They don't see the other kids, like, face crunch up in devastation. Um, I think if, if kids are not going to talk face-to-face, you know, video message Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? No, I, I completely take that point. And it, and it does, video chatting does return a degree of empathy. There was a fascinating story that did the rounds a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about uh, a bit of software built into a new, into video chat that will move your irises in the return vision. So it looks like you're staring down the barrel, even though all of us are always looking slightly off camera because of the camera placement. I was like, Mm. that is both genius and super creepy. Yeah. I mean, there is still something, I agree. It's definitely better than texting. Um, Although I would argue, I'm not sure if that those benefits extend to a group chat where you've got seven tiny faces on your phone. Like I think just the potential for distraction there is probably... um, worse. I mean, and there is still something, it is great seeing a face. I sometimes feel like I can have more intimate conversations with just voice. Yeah, I agree. Cause like you, you focus on what you're saying as opposed to like me pretending like I'm looking down the barrel of the camera. Yeah. Or then ultimately just checking yourself out as well, which is a thing that happens, especially when you're talking to kids. kids well, I mean, to just if I had your hair, I would also be. Checking <laughs> <myself>. <laughs> I mean, look, the, it's not the only one in the category either. And I, I I'm Vaguely curious to know how House Party, even though it's got a lot of attention right now, sits against things like Discord and Squad, which well, offer a similar sort of. Yeah, technology. I think um, I think Epic Games, who who as you said own Fortnite, I think they're looking to make it kind of a video Discord. So if people don't know, Discord is essentially a, a like a voice chat service, a group voice chat service for people who play video games. So yep. the idea is that. You've got your you're playing your video game and uh, like PC usually, um, and the window under that is Discord, so you can talk to six or seven friends um, while you like it, your team ideally while you're playing your game, right? And I think uh, the idea for Epic is that they want uh, House Party to be that, but video. So already there's like a lot of uh, people are using it to. Like they, they set up their phone with House Party in front of them while they play Fortnite, so they're video chatting with their Fortnite mm. mates. Discord is worth, that sounds like a kind of a niche service. It's worth $2 billion, right? So, like, I think that is very much what Epic has in mind when, also Facebook tried to buy it, uh, but they but they didn't because they thought maybe it's getting suspicious if we buy everything. If you want something that doesn't uh, trend quite, I guess, so young, the other one that I, I think is fascinating is Band. So Band's built around group messaging, but it's often used by like sports teams and like families and unsurprisingly bands because it has a has like a built-in calendar and, and stuff like that that you can that you can do. And so it's a, it's a little bit more organizational as well. Yeah. The other f- kind of component to this is um, it's for a long time we've talked about how there are certain um, Asian social media apps that are huge. Like obviously um, there's WeChat, which is massive, and Line, I think is another one. 
But they don't seem to have penetrated um, Europe, Australia, the US to the same extent, outside of, I guess, maybe the diaspora. Um, Olivia, for people that don't know, you lived in Hong Kong for a period of time. Why do you think things like WeChat haven't necessarily made the, the transition? Maybe they don't want to. Oh, I don't think they're too fussed about capturing English-speaking audiences. I mean, I think, you know, especially with WeChat, like... They've got, they've got their billions. They've got, yeah, they've got their billions. Um, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's not a huge concern. I mean, everyone's desperately... A whole bunch of uh, English-speaking or, you know, American, Western social media companies and tech companies have long tried to break into China mm. and they make that very hard and China doesn't seem that interested. Um, why haven't, but but nevertheless, WeChat does have an English offering um, that you can download anywhere in the world. And, you know, it is, it is a very interesting uh, hybrid of WhatsApp, Facebook, um, you can pay with it. Like it, it is mm. this huge multifunctional app. Um, why, I'd say with WeChat, the reason why it hasn't uh, penetrated is that Everyone's well aware that WeChat um, will happily hand over all your information to the Chinese government. That's kind of a requirement of yeah. functioning as um, one of those kind of apps in in China. Um, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. I think, but but having said that, WeChat was so much more advanced, well beyond. Yeah. Like it had all these. It had pay, in-app payments, um, the ability to group chat, like the ability to broadcast, well be, before, like years ago. Um, and it, and it was kind of surprising to me that these hadn't uh, penetrated here. I don't know, xenophobia, fear of things from outside probably. Sure. Fun fact, uh, Line, which is Japan's big um, like messaging service, which, by the way, this isn't my fun fact, but separate fun fact, I'm pretty sure it was the first messaging service to have uh, like text recognition emojis. So if you type dog, it was the first one to realise, like, oh, mm. I'm going to suggest you a dog. Uh, Line was created in the aftermath of the 20, 20, 2011 uh, earthquake slash nuclear reactor thing for like families and government. Oh, that's talk. interesting. Yeah. So I was just going to say, I think part of it is that for people, A, it's certainly a, a sticky type of thing in the in the sense of like people use those apps because their friends are on it kind of thing. Like I'm horrible on WeChat, on um, WhatsApp, but um, like that's like I only use WhatsApp every now and then because some of my friends use it. Like I use it exclusively to talk to my people who only use WhatsApp kind of thing. Uh, so I think a, a lot of that, the reason those apps haven't penetrated is because a lot of you know, I don't use Line, so why are my friends going to use Line? Not me. But also, they're very confronting. Uh, they're kind of like super apps. Like you said, they do have in-app payments. Mm. Uh, I know in China, like, they, they, they Uber had to kind of work with WeChat. I, I think that's confronting to people. It's like, oh, here's a whole new platform, essentially. If you bring a credit card into the equation too early, you can mm. freak people out. Mm. Um, just on the topic of, of security, we've talked a lot about video chat and group app, group apps, but there is uh, the other end of the spectrum, which is the very secure app, or at least apps that are sold on security. I'm thinking of Telegram and, of course, I guess the famous one in Australia was Wicker uh, because it's what Malcolm Turnbull and Scott Morrison and other Liberal Party plotters used in the 2015 leadership crisis. Um, if you had to choose, if you wanted something that you could trust for its security, uh, what app would you guys use? Well, I, I do have a chat with a group of friends who actually live um, in China and other places that use a signal, yep, signal. Um, which I think is good. It's pretty user-friendly and I think it's quite secure. I mean, and I would say if you don't want to... Um, if you don't want to download another app, I mean, WhatsApp is encrypted, which is already better than text message, right? So you're doing better there. But yeah, Signal is the main one that I use. I think Telegram is also pretty good. I know in a lot of kind of authoritarian countries, they shut down Telegram mm. because they can't like access into it. So on the basis that governments can't have tried and failed to get into it. 
you know, it's got a pretty good track record. Mm. All right. That is all we have time for this week on Download This Show. Huge thank you to Olivia Rosenman, journalist and podcast producer. Thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you for having me. And since we talk so much about your experience with podcasting, I do believe... A free plug is in order. Oh, excellent. Well, I'm actually about to release a new podcast, <laughs> September 24. It's called Brain on Nature. And it's actually all about how going out into the natural world is good for your brain. Uh, Daniel Van Boom from CNET, thank you for coming back. Thank you. I'll have better hair next time, I promise. I think your hair's fine. It's thank just you. hers is extremely extra. <laughs> I would like to be extremely extra too. <laughs> um, hey, thank you so much for all of the reviews that have been coming through on uh, Apple Podcasts. I have been reading them. I've been taking some notes. Very much appreciate it. And uh, we will catch you next week. My name's Mark Fennell, and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show. Download This Show.